Good morning. Welcome to Old Pass Chapel. We'll just pray. Get in the Word. Lord, we're, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the effect it has on us, Lord. We're, we're thankful for the effect it has on not just our mind, but our heart and our will. God, that it penetrates, it's sharp, uh, and You want to do a work through it, Lord. Uh, it rises off the page and speaks to us right where we're at, no matter where we're at in the Bible, no matter who's teaching. Uh, you've got a personal message for each one of us, uh, something to tell us, God. So faithful to meet with us. So I pray this morning you give us ears to hear uh, and a heart, a will, willing and ready to obey. God, we want to we wanna, uh, obey you, Lord. We love you, and thank you so much for your love for us. It's, it's why we love you, Lord. Your word tells us it's because you first loved us. That's why we're here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So recently, a few weeks ago, I hit a deer. And then a week after that, or two weeks after that, I hit another deer. So hit two deer, and I hadn't hit any deer uh, leading up to that, at least that did any damage to my vehicle my whole life. Uh, and both deer did damage to my van, and I couldn't hit another one with my van. I had to hit it with a different car of mine a day before I left. Uh, for vacation, so uh, I called the insurance company and said, hey, listen, I know it's like a no-fault thing, you hit a deer, but what's that going to do to my insurance? Is it going to raise it? Is it going to, and they said, you know, you know the, uh, probably the standard answer, it, it shouldn't raise it, but, you know, they evaluate it every year and see what's gone on, uh, and she said, well, let me take a look and see what's, what, what you've, accidents you've been in. I'm like, I haven't been in an accident at all. What? And she goes, oh, yeah, you hit a guardrail uh, in 19, uh, or I can't remember when it was. I think it was 2003, almost 20 years ago. I'm like, that's still on my record? What is going on? You guys are relentless, like, just want to raise my insurance. Um, and I remember that. Lydia, Leah was gone at a women's retreat, and I was watching Lydia. She was young, and she dropped her binky, and I was taking her for a ride to put her to sleep like dads do. Uh, she wouldn't go asleep, go to sleep for me, and uh, so she drops her binky, and I'm in my first caravan I ever bought as a, a dad and a husband. I'm driving my caravan, and she drops her binky, and I see it on the floor. And I'm driving, and I lean over to get it and <laughs> scuff the guardrail, right? Freaks me out crazy. We're safe. I'm here. Lydia's here. Uh, but they remembered that from 20 years ago. 20 years ago, and that's really the way it is with sin in our life, right? The reality is, is we can try to put sin out of our mind, things that we've done, uh, apart from the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If there's sin in your life, if you've done something in your life, the record of it is there. As far back as you want to push it in your mind, in your conscience, it's there. And God sees it. And we need forgiveness, we need cleansing. And that's why I appreciate, last week we looked at Psalm 139. Um, David, as a mature guy, seasoned, looking back at his life and God's heart, and he gets to share that with us. Uh, this week we're going to take a look at Psalm 51. It's one of the penitent Psalms. It's David, and I love, I just love David because he's always so real, right? David's a man's man. Like some people try to, you know, 
tell you they're tough and they give you, you know, David, they're writing songs about David. You know, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David's a man's man and he signs off in 2 Samuel. And I know I mentioned it last week, but as he signs off the record of his life, he doesn't say the greatest king of Israel. He doesn't say, you know, this is David the giant killer. You know, he calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel because something broke in David through his own sin. And, and Psalm 51 is really a record of that brokenness and repentance and the way home for a believer. And what brokenness looks like in the life of a believer. So, you guys probably know the history behind Psalm 51. I know I referenced it last week, but uh, for those of you who don't know the story or want to be reminded, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 records for us finally at the pinnacle of David's success. David becomes king, sits on the throne. And 2 Samuel 11 says that David, it was the time that the kings went out to war. It was the springtime and all the kings went out to do battle. And, and what's it say? David sent everyone out. He sends out Joab. He sent out his soldiers. He sent out his servants. And David stays back at home in his palace, kind of resting in his laurels, his achievements, and what he's done his whole life and sitting back and saying, I can relax. I can let my guard down. Finally, you know, God, you know, it, it, what you promised has come to pass. I'm king. And he stays back from the battle. And we're going to find out, uh, and, and you need to log this into your memory, the safest place for you and I to be is on the front lines and to stay in battle. To stay in the fight. Stay in fellowship. David pulled himself out, stayed home, and it says this, as he was home there, he, he wandered onto uh, uh, the, the upper walls of his palace that overlooked the city, and he sees a woman bathing herself, a beautiful woman. And he looked, uh, and, and he called someone and inquired. He says, who, is, who, who lives on you know, 52 East Main Street. Who is this person? Who is this girl? I saw someone. And, and his servant says, well, that's, that's uh, Eliab's daughter. That's the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. Ding, 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 David. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's wife. Her name's Bathsheba. So David has a choice there. His first choice was to stay home from the battle. His next choice is, what do I do with what I just saw? He inquires, and then he has another choice. What do I do? And what does he do? He sends for her. Go get her. Bring her to my palace. And, and David sleeps with her. She's probably very impressed. This is the king inquiring. Whatever happened... And then it's over. And David probably thought, I'll never do that again. That's it. It's the wrong thing to do. And however long transpired, he gets word. She sends word and says, David, I'm pregnant. And then another choice for David. Do I come clean? Do I get right? Or do I keep going? 
And what's David do? He, David is a master strategist. He's a military-minded, very intelligent person. And David says, I know what I'll do. I'll go get her husband, pull him off the battlefield, and I'll send him home on a little reprieve, a little break. So he gets Uriah, pulls him off the battlefield, and, and hey, Uriah, how's it going out there? What's going on in the battle? You know, really with one thing in mind, David wants to send this guy home. He says, all right, that's, that's great, Uriah. Go home. I'll see you later. And Uriah thinks in his heart, what a man this guy is. As you turn, uh, uh, and I think it's 2 Samuel 24, whatever, where David signs off, Uriah is labeled as one of the mighty men in David's army. And that's the type of guy he is. Uriah says, I can't, Joab's sleeping in tents. My fellow soldiers are sleeping in tents. I'm not going home. So Uriah leaves and sleeps right outside the palace with the rest of the soldiers guarding David. He doesn't go home. And David does this several nights. Finally, one night he gets him drunk. He's trying to get him home, and Uriah doesn't go home. So finally, David, by Uriah's own hand, sends a message to Joab, the, the commander-in-chief of, of, of the army, the, the general, actually, and says, listen, do this to Uriah. Set him at the hottest part of the battle and withdraw your troops so Uriah dies. And that's what happens. Uriah dies in the battle, and, and, and Joab sends word back to King David, hey, Uriah is dead. And, and David calls for Bathsheba. He marries her. He looks like a hero to probably many. But Joab knows what's happened here. People are putting two and two together, but David is still trying to cover this thing. And then in the very next chapter, it says that this faithful friend with a faithful wound comes and talks to David, and he tells him a story. He said, David, there was two men, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had so many flocks and herds, could barely count them. And then this poor man had one little lamb that he took care of it in his own house. It was a pet to him. He fed him out of his own, off his own table. He slept in his arms. This little lamb was, was, was like a, he, the Bible says that Nathan says it was like a daughter to him. Not, not even like a son, like a rough, no, it's like a daughter to him. And it says a, this wayfaring man came and wanted to stay with the rich man. And the rich man, instead of getting his own sheep or lamb, he goes to the poor man and says, give me that lamb. And he takes it, this guy's pet, and he kills it. And he dresses it and gives it to this traveler. David, what should we do? And David is infuriated. He says, the man that's done that thing is going to die. And he's going to restore fourfold. He is furious. And Nathan says, David, you're the man. That was you. That's what you did. Look at what God has given you. Look at your kingdom. Look at your wives. Look at everything God has done, his hand on your life. And you went and took this one man's wife, and you killed Uriah with a sword. David, you're the man. And David's broken. And this is a psalm from that brokenness. And really, this, as we look at this psalm, really it's a picture of brokenness for each one of us. We should be broken over 
things that we've done in our lives and things that we have allowed and places we've gone to. There should be a level of brokenness in us. And David unpacks that. Numbers 32, 23 says, If you sin against the Lord, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. It gets uncovered. It literally means it hunts you down, it tracks you down. If you think you're going to get away with it, you're not. Right? You're not. In God's faithfulness, He doesn't let us get away with sin. So David, here in Psalm 51, unpacks this. And, and if, you, if you look with me for a second to, to verse 17, says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. And that's what David's bringing before the Lord here is brokenness. Brokenness. So verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Brokenness leads to a genuine appreciation of God's love, His grace, and His mercy. Right? It's not just an academic ascent, but David appreciates God's love, his grace and his mercy. And he appeals to that. He says, Lord, have mercy on me. According to thy loving kindness, thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Now, transgression is, isn't just sin. We know if, if you've heard, heard of the definition of sin, right? Missing the mark. You're shooting at something, a bullseye if you're an archer, and you miss the mark. You hit something else far below what you want to hit 100% of the time. Trans, and, and, and that makes us all sinners, right? We're not perfect. Sometimes we try. Some try better than others. Transgression is different, and that's what David understands he did. Transgression is high-handed sin. It's, it's willful rebellion. It's knowing full well the fork in the road, and you choose the wrong fork every time. In the sight of God, you know that the choice you're making right now is against God's will and it's leading you out of His will and His presence for your life. And David acknowledges that. And it leads him to this place, Lord, thank you for your mercy. I'm pleading for your mercy and your love and your grace in my life. I remember uh, when I first got saved, uh, I used to go to Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes a lot. We, they had a bookstore there. It was cool. You know, we go there for Bible study and, and, and uh, buy books that, that, you know, we often didn't read, but we get all excited buying books and different things. And they had uh, these, these, this artwork there. It was Lyle Trimmer. I don't know if you ever remember or have heard of Lyle Trimmer. Trimmer. Great artwork. And I remember we'd go up there, and every once in a while, we, one of us would buy a print, and, and I would get him my, my, uh, my Uncle Steve had a little frame shop, and I'd buy a print and have him frame it. And uh, one of them, uh, the, the title of it is, It is Finished. And it was a picture of the cross. And I'll just read you Colossians real quick. Uh, you guys know this verse probably. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. This was the scripture at the bottom of the print. 
It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And, and this picture of the cross, it was a cross, and it had this huge scroll on it. It was all our sins and faults, and it's nailed right to the cross. And then behind the cross was the veil of the temple, and it showed that veil just torn right in half. And then it showed the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, the place where uh, God told Moses, this is where I want to meet with people, at the mercy seat. And that's what David is appealing to, God's mercy. Right? <laughs> you don't want to go to God's judgment seat. And he goes to, and, and, and I love that print. I know I, I got my mom one. I, I bought several, several of those prints and had them framed up. And, and uh, amazing. Amazing. And that's, it, it is finished. It is finished. And that's what David appeals to, God's mercy. It's the place where God told Moses, that's where I want the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. That's where I want to meet people. And that's what David appeals to. And that's a sign of brokenness. When you're humbled and broken over your own sin and high-handed sin and transgression, you appeal to God, have mercy on me. Have mercy. And then he says this, the, the, verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Brokenness gives you a good understanding of what sin does to you, how it defiles you, how you're dirty, how it leaves you dirty, your mind and your heart. That's why First uh, John one nine says, uh, John says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? Because not only do we need forgiveness, sin has an effect on our life, on our heart, and our mind. It affects you and I. It makes us dirty. It defiles you. Brokenness leaves us with a desire to live holy lives. Right? Not perfect lives. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. We can try. But true brokenness, you're humbled about your sin, you want to live a holy life. You want to change. There's a sensitivity to evil and its lure. Romans chapter 1, the end of that chapter has a whole list of sins, right? This sin, that sin, tons of them. And then right at the end it says, not only who do the same, all those sins, but have pleasure in those that do them. Like, how do you have pleasure in somebody else doing all these other sins? And I know there wasn't TV back in Paul's day when he wrote that, but that's all I could think of the first time I ever read that. I'm like, how do you have pleasure in a, a, adultery, fornication, murder, theft? if you're not doing those things. Well, how about if we watch it on TV? Right? How that can defile you. Right? So David understood what sin did. He, I'm sure when he called for Bathsheba, he had no idea where his life was going to go. What was going to happen to his family and his kingdom. And how, how it was going to affect him in such a negative way. 
a sense of, of what sin does, right? People want to downplay sin. And Verse 3 says, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my, sin is, and my sin is ever before me. How he regretted it. The condemnation that, and I talked about that last week. I remember walking away from the Lord early on when I got saved and how condemned, how, how, when I walked away, I came back to the Lord, how condemned I was. Still, I, I know that feeling to this very day, almost 30 years later. Condemnation, it's, it's hard to get rid of. The devil's right there. In fact, we were at prayer on Tuesday. I almost taught on something else. I thought of all the scriptures. Isaiah 42. <clears throat> I'll read it to you real quick. It says this. You guys would be familiar with these scriptures. But it says this in Isaiah 42. It's also repeated in Matthew 11. It says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. Right? A bruised reed, something that's damaged, like a stick. And he says, you know what? God says, I'm not even going to, a bruised reed, I'm not going to break. And a smoking flax, like a fire that's about to go out, I'm not going to quench it. Right? You ever sit on the wrong side of a fire, and you're the one getting all the, and wherever you go, it's following you, right? Like somebody, you know, Put some gas on that or do something. That's the idea. God doesn't say, you know what, heck with that fire. It's just getting, you can't make s'mores on it. It's just getting in people's eyes. You smell like smoke. Put it out. No, it says he's not going to do that. He's going to take a life, somebody whose life seems like it's smoldering out. The flames are going out. And God doesn't say, I'm going to quench that, but he's going to fan it back to flame. That's how he cares for a life. Brings it back to life. Fans it, fans it to bring the flames back. He's not going to quench. Isaiah 61 says this. To appoint them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Beauty for ashes. I, I, I was thinking about that at prayer. I've been thinking about that kind of all week. Carpenters don't look at a pile of ashes, and I know I've said this before. They don't look at a pile of ashes and say, man, that'll make a nice table or a a nice dresser. They look at a pile of ashes and think, where can I dump this? Right? But God looks at the ashes and, and He says, I can make something beautiful out of that. And that's our lives. We've, we've, we've burned up, wasted, made things a wreck. It looks like everything's burned up. What's left here? And God says, I can do something with that. Right? Only in God's kingdom does he take something that most everyone else throws out and he says, that's what I can use. I can take that life. I'll use that life. Give it to me. I'll take it. Joel says he restores the years that the canker worm, the moth, and things have corrupted and eaten. He says, I can restore those. You think they're lost? 
I want to give them back to you. Give me your life. So although David said his sin is ever before him, he regretted it, felt the pain of it, even the condemnation from the devil. God takes broken people, broken situations. And then he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Brokenness owns its own sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Brokenness calls sin, sin. It doesn't downplay. I remember being a kid, and we can do it now, can't we? Saying, man, all my friends are doing it. Everybody's doing it. What's wrong with it? We can downplay what's going on, right? Everybody's, they're doing it, then we pick all the people that are doing it to convince our parents to let us do it, right? We can downplay it. We don't blame shift. David wasn't blame shifting, right? That's what happened in the garden. Everybody was pointing fingers at everyone else, right? The devil made me do it. God, it's the woman you gave me. God, it's your fault. If she wouldn't have been bathing on that roof, if she, you know, whatever. David takes ownership. He didn't defend it. He didn't redefine it as an alternative lifestyle. He didn't cover up anymore. He realized he had to come clean. And he says, God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. I, Lord, I sinned against you first. It was your law. It was your rule. That's who I sinned against first. Yeah, he sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, Ahithophel, her grandfather, right, who commits suicide over this whole thing. There was lots of sin going on, but that's the first place to start. God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. You have to get that relationship right. This one first, before any other one can. And that's what he does. God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Verse 5, he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not blaming his parents. He realizes in all of our DNA is iniquity. We have a twisted nature, and, and, and that's what iniquity is. Everyone has a little bit different twisted nature, right? Our brains are twisted. Our sin nature, everybody's looks a little different. And that's what he's saying, but we're all born in sin, and we all need a Savior. He says, Behold, verse 6, You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Brokenness brings honesty and truth. The sin that's been bottled up comes out. You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. Wisdom, right? We, something happens when, when sin, and it starts small, a little leaven, just a little something, and then what happens is the Bible, we're not in love with the Bible, the Word of God. We're not in love with, go, we don't love going, waking up Sunday mornings and saying, oh, it's church. 
let's get some breakfast, have our coffee. We got to go fellowship, right? Our radio station starts getting changed in our on our on our in our cars because we don't love the Word of God anymore. We don't love fellowship with the saints anymore. He says, make me to know wisdom. I want to love your word again. And that's what David wants. He cries for that, right? If you sense yourself like wanting to get out of fellowship, not enjoying your time in the word, in the Bible, radio stations are being turned. It's a a sign that things are getting cold between you and the Lord. That's what happened to David. And he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was, was, was a, a branch, a, a plant that would be dipped in blood, and it was for the curing of a leper, which there was no cure. It was for the cleansing of a leper, that you dip it in the blood of a, of a, of a, of a, a dove that was killed, then you'd sprinkle it on a leper. That had been, and there was no cure for a leper. God had to come down and touch a leper to clean them, to do a work in a leper. In fact, in Luke 5, Jesus heals a leper, and then he says, go show yourself to the priest. The priest probably thought, all right, what do I do? i got to look this thing up. This doesn't happen, right? I, gotta, I think it's Leviticus 14 where you know, you got to set them outside the camp, see if things are, you know, so what's going on. You move in what direction? Are things getting better or worse? And then the whole process of cleansing a leper. Well, that's a picture of sin. That's what leprosy does. It, a little bit, a little spot shows up, you know, it's like leaven. A little spot shows up, and you're heading in the wrong direction because pretty soon another spot shows up, and then another one, and another one. There's no healing for it. No change. Right? God would have to come down and heal a person. It was a death sentence. It's just like sin. It's what sin does in a life. It's a death sentence. He says, purge me, wash me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. And then he says, verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice right brokenness brings back joy and gladness have you lost the joy of your salvation is your joy gone gladness you're not happy anymore it's a reflection on where you're at with the lord he says make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice, right? And that's what, would, what shepherds would do. David said, the Lord's my shepherd. A shepherd, if a sheep would continually go astray, you've heard this before, if they would continue to go astray, the shepherd would ultimately, out of love, break a, shepherd, uh, break a sheep's leg, and then he would carry that. Uh, he, would, he would bind it, fix it, and then carry that sheep for weeks and weeks and weeks. And this bond would become so tight between the shepherd and the sheep when finally that leg is healed and he lets it down, the sheep doesn't want to leave the shepherd's side. It stays right there, follows him everywhere. Right? And that's where David's at. Verse 9, he says, uh, 
Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. To create, the word is bara. It's something out of nothing. That's, the, that's what God used in Genesis chapter 1. He made something out of nothing. Right? If I hit a couple deer with my car, I could replace headlights and bumpers and and grills and all those things, but people have hit cars or hit deer with their cars that there's no replacing it. There's no fixing it. And maybe other things. You go to uh, Tallman's and they say, sorry, uh, this thing's totaled. There's no bringing this back. You need a new car. And that's what, that's what David's talking about here. I need something new. This thing's broken. I need a new heart. Create in me a a new heart. I need something brand new, Lord. That's what God wants to give us. He wants to take out that stony heart, and the Bible says, and give us a heart of flesh, one that's soft, moldable. Right? He says, cast me not away, verse 11, from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David's in his brokenness, his awareness of God's presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he's probably reflecting, thinking back on King Saul, maybe Samson. As he looks back, he remember, remember King Saul. It says God took his spirit from him and then a, uh, an evil spirit was sent him. Right? Saul had no idea that God's spirit had left him. Same thing with Samson. It says the Lord had departed from Samson. Samson had no idea that, he had, that, that God's spirit had gone. That's how we can grieve and quench God's Holy Spirit so much. It hurts our conscience, right? Paul told Timothy that they have their conscience seared with a hot iron, that there's no sensitivity. He told the Ephesians that their past feeling. People become past feeling. Like sin doesn't bother people anymore because you've damaged your conscience enough. And the feeling sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit that you can pretty much do whatever you want and it doesn't bother you. You can act however you want, say whatever you want, do whatever you want, go wherever you want. It doesn't bother you. If that's where you are today, you're, you're doing damage to your conscience. Right? That's why David says, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I want to stay sensitive to you. Please convict me. Help me not to feel comfortable living in sin. Right? You can remember those days when, when, when sin was like, ah, and then you keep doing it, and then it's like, oh, no, this ain't so bad. It's like you wade into this hot, like the frog in the boiling pot. The water gets turned up, and you don't even know it. And pretty soon, your past feeling, your conscience is seared. And you can do anything, go anywhere. And that's where David was. uh, That's where Saul was. And that's where Samson was in, in, in their life. Read those stories of these men. That sin took them down. And David was worried about that. That I've gone past that point. 
Restore unto me, verse 12, the joy of, my salva- the, of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, he says, I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted to me. Brokenness brings a burden for the lost. It sees people with compassion and a burden. Not I'm better than you or looking down on people, but with sympathy. And David's willing to tell his story, right? Because nothing's wasted in God's kingdom. We think, oh man, I ruined my life. No, your story matters. Where you're at, what happened to your life, it matters. God will use it. He wants to use it. David is vulnerable here. He says, God, I want to teach transgressors your ways. And I want to see sinners converted to you. Use my life. Use even this story in my life. This moral failure in my life. Because pride can sneak into our life. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not doing what they do. You should see what they do. And pride can eke up. And you, you know, the Bible says God resists the proud. says, I'll teach you. There's a great burden for the lost and for lives and a compassion for people who fail and mess up. And when you've messed up, you have seem to have compassion on other people. If you've been hurt before, you know, however you've been hurt and you see someone else get hurt. Uh, we were camping and Jacob, my nephew, was on a one of those motorized skateboards and I he walked to our campsite and I didn't think much of it other than I saw him for a second and then I heard Josh say he just wrecked on the skateboard and I looked over and he dropped his towel and I could see he was in pain and, and just what can I do to help him you know if you've ever been in pain or got he fell off the skateboard got his shoulder his arm his legs skidded down the road right if you've ever got road rash or brought i'm thinking this kid is not going to sleep tonight we need to help him what can we do to help this kid because if you've ever been hurt you look at other people like man well that's what david's looking at like how can i help what can i do you're sensitive to other people Deliver me, verse 14, from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, upon open thou my lips, and open and, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Verse 15, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. He's praying in brokenness, it brings us back to worship. Song, right? If you're changing your radio stations, if you're not worried about worship. I, when I first got saved, I hated Christian music. I hated teaching and Christian music right before I got saved. I were, a guy I worked with, and I know I've shared this with you guys before, I, uh, he was a paint, I was painting, and this guy was a drummer at Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes, and we would go back and forth changing the radio station depending on who was up on the ladder, right? If I'm up on the ladder... He'd change the station. Uh, uh, And then when he was up on the ladder, I'd change the station. But then I got saved. 
I'm like, all right, I can handle the Bible teaching, but this music is killing me, right? I didn't like it. And now that's all I want to hear. I want to hear worship songs, and not just songs. I like songs and concerts, too. That's fun, but I just like worship. And, and that's what David's saying. Bring me back to worship, God. I want to sing your songs. I want to write your songs. That's what David was doing. This was this was also this psalm was also meant to be put to music. As a reminder. That's what music does. I know we talked about it last year. I don't want or last week. I don't want to belabor that point, but it's very important. Songs, music. Satan was a worship leader. Right? Do a little study on that. Satan was a worship leader. Music moves people's hearts and minds and their will. You hear an old song from before you were saved, a song that, that's not a Christian song, it brings you right back. You can smell the smoke of the campfire you were at. It brings you right back to the place. That's what it's meant to do. Worship is meant to bring you into the presence of God. Very care, be very careful of the things you allow into your ear gates. Verse 16, it says, Thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I will give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. There was actually no offering or sacrifice for adultery or murder. It was a death penalty. But he says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. That's what God's looking for, brokenness. He wants us to be real and open. Call sin what it is. And he says this, he says in verse 18, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion, and build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Lord, fix some of the things that I messed up. It says, Thou shalt, then thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering, with whole burnt offering. And then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. If you're thinking about today stepping across that line, I can tell you this, you won't know where that's, that's going to take you, where your life's going to go, and it's not going to be good. David had no idea where his life was going to go when he stepped willfully across that line. If you've stepped across that line and you're carrying the weight, you're pushing it back in the recesses of your mind, thinking, if I forget about it, if that person's out of the way, if I can cover it, that thing's sitting there rotting. It's not going away, and it never will. It's never going to go away. It's like a, that, that deer that you see on the side of the road. One day you see it, and then it puffs up a little more the next day, and then the next day it looks like it's about 700 pounds about to explode. That's what, it, that's what sin does in your mind. It's not going away. It just sits there and rots and begins to smell. There's only one place to turn. And the Lord loves you. He's, hand, he's, he's reaching out with a hand of love and grace and mercy because He cares. He wants to take a life that seems burnt up, destroyed, wrecked, and He wants to bring beauty for He wants to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. He cares. He loves you guys. 
Thankful for the life of David. He's one of those guys in the Bible I just love to study, right? Because he's imperfect like us. I like Jacob. I like Peter. They're guys that are real. We not only see their, high, their highlights of their life, but we get to see their lowlights, right? I love Joseph. I love Daniel. You know, those guys you never hear a bad thing about, right? But I like these guys. They bring us back into God's love, His grace, His restoration, His care over a life, because He cares for you guys. So, Lord, we just love you so much, God. Thank you so much for your great care over us, Lord, that you're faithful enough to go after that one sheep that's gone astray, Lord. And, and you're even faithful enough, Lord, uh, to break a leg if you have to, God. It's in your love. It's your goodness, God. We know that. The Bible says you chasten those you love. We pray for brokenness in our lives, Lord. We pray. I pray today, Lord, if anyone here is flirting with, with sin, they're distancing from you, God, that you draw them back, Lord. Help them to be real with you. Help them to know that your hand is open and that you care, that you see it, Lord. You want to take the burden, the weight of that sin. It's so serious, Lord, and, and you want to nail it to your cross, Lord, to give us access again into the Holy of Holies, into your presence. We just love you. Give your lives, Jesus, in your name. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, you can come up. We'll pray. Uh, if not, have a great week. Next week, Jeff will be back. How are you doing? Well done, sir. How are you? Oh, good. Good to see you. Your sermon was right on. Oh, thank you.